0: Thanks so much for joining us at Vive Church for this podcast. Pastor, I'm just kicked off a brand new series, Real Life Revival, and we know that you're going to be blessed by this message. Also, in just a few weeks, we have our very first Vive Conference coming up. It's going to take place on August 25th and 26th in San Francisco. There is a hope. It's going to be monumental. It's going to be powerful, and we'd love to see you there. So for more information or to register, make sure to check out viveconference.com. I'm excited for the Word of God today. I hope you're expecting. I hope you have some anticipation for what God wants to do because I want to do something a little bit different today. I want to come at you from a different angle and, uh, and really kind of give you something that God has put on my heart for us as a church as we enter revival season. We are, we are what, 19 days away from conference. And i got to tell you, God has been putting something in my heart for us as a church that He wants to speak. But I also feel He's commissioned me to to really kind of prepare us as a church, to to kind of take us on a season of preparation as we prepare ourselves for what God wants to speak to us as a church. So to get ourselves ready, would you open up to 2 Peter? I want to read from the Word of God. Just as we stay standing, just for one more moment, I'm going to let you sit in just a second. But just as you stand, would you open up the Word of God to 2 Peter? Chapter One, And I want to go ahead and set the tone for what God wants to speak to us today from reading from verse 10, which says, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and you are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His Majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came down from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have heard the word, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises. In your hearts, you know I wholeheartedly believe that God is wanting to deposit something into us as a church over Vive Conference in 19 days' time. I, I truly believe it. I believe God is setting us up for something unprecedented, even in the history of our church—the the long five year history of our church. I feel God is wanting to kind of set us on something in a new day, and and I believe that in order to receive what God has for us, it requires a preparation season a little season of preparation. And, and so my, my goal over the next few weeks, the next coming weeks in the life of our church is to, to get us revival ready, to get us revival ready. Even before revival, we need to get ready, kind of like a little pre-vival. How many people are interested in a little pre-vival season? You, you want to have a little pre-vival in your hearts today? Well, I believe God's going to do it if we set our hearts with an expectation and an anticipation For what do you want to do? And if you want to get your hearts ready for the Word of God, would you do something? Because I want to speak a message that I'm entitling, No More Net. No More Net. No More Net. It's going to make a whole lot more sense by the time I'm done. But with anticipation, would you ready your hearts? Find five people around you, give them a high five and say, No More Net. Come on, there's no more. Not nothing but net, but No More Net. Come on, five people. Come on, San Jose. Come on, Oakland. Let's go, San Francisco. No more net. You can go ahead and take your seat. You know, in 2 Peter, we find the apostle writing a letter of preparation. The timing of this letter is around 60 AD, where the apostle is nearing towards and preparing, really, for his departure from this earthly life. And and what we find is that He knows that once he's gone, he he will no longer be able to verbally tell people about the Jesus and that he walked with and the great works that he did. He he won't be able to explain in person or express just what it was like to actually walk with Jesus. He he will no longer be able to articulate it because he won't be here. And so he realizes that because time is short, he, he needs to put pen to paper so that even long after he is gone, he will be able to stand confident. That we'll be able to stand confident, I'm sorry, in our calling to what he has called us to. And he says this in verse 10, he says, "Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling an election sure." And it kind of seems fit that if anyone talks about being confident in any area of life, the disciple that is what most warranted or most validated to actually talk about confidence would be Peter. Would you agree? Because we see Peter, and we know Peter. How many of you know about Peter, Peter? Peter seems confident in Scripture. As we look through Scripture, you'll find Peter was often the first disciple to speak up. Peter was often the first one to respond. Peter, we see, is brave. He is daring. He was always ready to fight. And and even Peter was given the name Rock by Jesus. But but how many people know that even the most certain of people can make mistakes in this life? I I learned this early in life. I, I learned this real early. I'm talking about in kindergarten, I learned this. And I don't know if this has an attribute to people's names, but in kindergarten, I had a teacher by the name of Mrs. Peters, okay? I don't know if that's connected to Peter in the Bible, but she was also very confident. She never made mistakes. She she was certain about everything. And the school that I was attending at that time was a school called Newcastle Christian Life Academy. And this was not a military school. It was an academy nonetheless. And that may because it was in the 80s that, that I was in kindergarten. And, 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 and even though in the 80s, anybody was around in the 80s in church in that season, you would remember it was all about the Lord's army back then. Do you remember that? It was all about the Lord's army. And, and so we were in a Christian academy, okay? And and, and we it felt like a, a military school. But I remember one time, Mrs. Peters was so upset with me. She was like angry with, with little old Adam who who had done something so bad in her books, I had, I had highlighted in her Bible. I don't know. I, I came from a Pentecostal family. I, I, I was taught that, you know, a dirty Bible meant clean Christian, you know. Yeah. Clean Bible meant dirty Christian. Go ahead and check your neighbor's Bible just for a second. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, 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 but I had taught that, you know, if, if, the, if the word was good, you highlight that thing. But she was real upset with me. She was so cranky that I would have the gall and the audacity to highlight her Bible. So she sent me for the first time ever to the principal, Mr. Heinmarsh. And Mr. Hindmarsh, he was bad at the bone, man. He, he was known for, for really enjoying the paddle. Now, now, this is way back when, before there was detention, okay? This was when you had corporal punishment, okay? Anybody ever went to corporal punishment school? All us old people, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it started with the cane, and then they real. how many had the cane? And you remember that you couldn't use your hand to write with for the rest of the day, so, so they end up doing the backside, so you couldn't sit down for the rest of the day. And I remember Mr. Hindmarsh gave me my first ever paddle. It was one of many, but, but, but it was the first. And I can remember being in that office, and man, he got a good wind-up as well. And man, I feel like I got some airtime from that paddle. I'll be honest with you. It kind of lifted me a little bit. I remember the tears were flowing and, and, and then they always brought out the Bible afterwards to, you know, just bring a Bible scripture, like as if that helps, you know, it just made things worse. And I remember just after I got the paddle, Mrs. Peters rushes in and she says, stop, stop. She goes, I just realized that Adam and I have the same Bible and he was highlighting his Bible, not mine. I'm mistaken. And I remember it thinking, well, it's too late, Mrs. Peters. Already received the punishment. But how many people know that this is often like life that no matter how certain you are, it's it can be really hard to be really sure in a life full of so much uncertainty. Would you agree? That there is so much uncertainty in life that really, when the Bible talks about being sure and being confident and being certain, we kind of weigh up with the uncertainty of what this thing is called life and. What we find here is Peter at the end of his life and what he wants to write to the believers in leaving them a letter and leaving them some instructions before he departs from this life at the top of his priority list. that The thing he wants the believers to know most is that, that we would have a confidence in this life, that, that we would be confident in the calling that God has put around our lives. How many people know it, it's confident to be it's, it's important to be confident in the calling. I don't know if you know this. Peter wants to make sure that you know that it's so vital to be confident in this call, to, to know that you're called, to, to know that God has given us a, a specific calling and, and to know that he, is, he, is, he has given us a mandate for this life that He wants us to be sure of. That, we could, that no matter what happens, no matter the circumstances, that God wants us to know that we are called. And in this passage, Peter is not only giving us a command, but he actually also gives us some clues on how we can be certain of the calling that God has given us. And so what we find is, he says this, after saying, be eager to make sure of your calling, he writes this in verse 12, he says, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them, and you're firmly established in the truth that you now have. I think it's right to refresh your memory As long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. There's a pattern here. Peter says, I I will always remind you to refresh your memory and be able to remember. Hmm. After charging us with the task of, of being confident in what lies ahead of us, Peter asks us to look back over our life. He's like, I want you to be confident in what lies ahead, but now I want to remind you, I want to remember, and I want to refresh your memory of what you've been through in this life. He he says, in order to be confident about what's ahead, you need to look back. And he places an importance on reflecting on what's behind us. In the Bible, this is a tool known as poetry. Can I do a little bit of teaching just to set us up for where I want to take us this morning? I believe God's going to get His revival ready, but I need to kind of set a framework and a foundation for, for what God wants to speak. And, and it's important to know that in the Bible, the tool that God uses for reflection is poetry. We, we got, I mean, there's different, many, many different formats of, within the Bible. I mean, we've got letters in the Bible, we've got epistles, we've got, we've got historical texts, we've got prophecy, we've got all kinds of things. And one of the categories of letters that we have or, or subject matter and, and format that we have in the Bible is one called poetry. In fact, we just finished a whole series called Psalms for the Summer. How many people enjoyed that series? Well, we looked at some impre- pretty incredible poetry. And really what they are, in essence, is real life experiences, real life circumstances, and occurrences told in poetic song. And they were often sung by a choir and that they were accompanied by, by, by music, and, and yet they were beautiful. They, they were singing, the whole nation was singing these poetic songs. We, we have Psalms like Psalm 23. How many people know that one? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And doesn't that sound poetic? Doesn't it sound glamorous? Like, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but how many people know that when you're in that circumstance, I mean, you look back and, and it looks poetic, but, but when you're in the circumstance, you don't really articulate it as a, a valley of shadow of death. When you're in the circumstance, you call it hell on earth. That's what you call it. You don't look back so poetically, but, but God does something over time that while you're in the circumstance, your prayer is, God, would you change my circumstance? That's the prayer. that we've. God, would you change this circumstance? But when you look back, you, you realise in reflection that whilst you were praying for God to change your circumstance... The whole time God was using the circumstance to change you. So you can look back and you can see poetically in reflection that there is glorification of the circumstances that we go through. So Peter says, if we're going to be confident in this life, we need to have a healthy reflection. We need to look at what God's brought us through and see His glorious and wondrous works in that season that was confusing, in that season that was uncertain. Now I look back and I see that God was doing a work in changing me. That's why a mother can go through childbirth and the pains of childbirth and then just a few short years later, she wants to go again. It's glorification. It's, it's glorification. Reflection. Reflecting on what God's done in the past will produce a confidence for what lies ahead. And here we see Peter in a bit of reflection, in fact. He, he, he refers back to a unique experience. He says this in verse 16. We, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Verse 18, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. Peter is referring to a unique experience that we know as a transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17 where where Peter was with James and John and they were on the mountain as Jesus, his, his outward appearance transfigured and it says that the glory of God shone from him, and he was joined by Moses and Elijah in that moment, and and we love reading that story in Matthew seventeen because Peter didn't even know how to respond. Peter, you got to remember, Peter wasn't like a trained theologian. You got he he was a fisherman. So so often when, when you come to Christ, we know that, that 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 there is imputed righteousness. From that day forward, you are made holy. We know that, right? That's that's how how it works with God. But but there is also a sanctification process in play, where where after a while, maybe you've met someone who's new to faith. Maybe that's you, and you've wondered, man. I really want to get better in some areas in my life, and and when the heat's on me, then I revert back to my old language. You know, you know anyone like that? Maybe that's you. Well, that was Peter, because because the fisherman, the tradesman, was still working out of him. Okay, so in this glorious moment where where, where, where God, where Christ is being transfigured, the very glory of God, we've got Moses appearing, we've got Elijah appearing. These are like the these are like the the patriarchs of the faith. This is what they they would have had posters of. Moses man they would have had like posters of Elijah you know this was like these were this was the heroes of the faith and all of a sudden they are appearing in person with Jesus and they're talking about his exodus from this life Peter's being a witness to this and he finds it hard in that moment to express what he wants to say. And I kind of picture Peter just kind of holding back a cuss word. I'll just be honest with you, like, holy, amazing Lord. This is what he throws out. He's like, it is wonderful for us to be here. (laughs) Reading scriptures. Here's it there for yourself. You can read it. He can't find the words to express. He's just making sure I don't wreck this moment. But he's trying to just articulate what a unique experience he's here. It's like, it's so good for... Us to be here. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Elijah. What's up, Elijah? Hey, Mo. He's like, he's like it's so good to be here. And, and James and John and Peter, out of all the disciples, it's just them. Which is kind of unique because what we find in Scripture is, is that this is actually a reoccurring theme. And, and Peter is actually telling us the experiences that he has that made us more certain in our calling. He had, we had these amazing, it's not just clever stories that we told you. He's like, we saw this with our own eyes. We, we heard this with our own ears. We, we sat under the very teaching of Jesus. And, and, and he's like, it made us more confident in the call. Another key that he wants us to know is that there is power in proximity. Because Peter and James and John, of all the disciples, they had the, the privilege of Proximity. Out of all the disciples, they were the closest to Jesus. We see this several times in Scripture. We see this. At the transfiguration was James, John, and Peter. We, we see this at the Last Supper, that closest to Jesus was John, James, and Peter. We we see this in the Garden of Gethsemane. The only disciples that went further with Jesus was James, John, and, and Peter. And at the house of Jairus, we see that it's Peter, James, and John. And out of the 12, that these three in particular knew the power of proximity, that wherever Jesus was, I'm gonna be. Wherever Jesus is, they knew the power in being in His presence. They, they knew that, that that their confidence in this life is only going to be more confident, There's only going to be more sure, is only going to be more certain if they find themselves where Jesus is, that there is power in proximity. And this is why it's so important and why Jesus places so much importance on us gathering together. In fact, this is, this is why conference is going to be so important. Because, because conference is an opportunity to position yourself in God's presence, And I know this is our first conference that we're putting on. I know that you have no idea what conference is. I've had people say, I go to work conferences all week. Why would I go to another one on the weekend? This ain't nothing like your work conference, okay? This is not nothing. This is... This is a, an opportunity to say, hey, hey we're going to come together and we're going to position ourselves in a place where, where, where not only the calling can be released, but our calling can be realized, that we can be affirmed in the purpose and the plan that God has on our life in a place of his presence, where his atmosphere is. And, and, and I, would, I would be just putting an appeal out there to all parents. You need to get your kids to conference. Riot Conference is going to be a place where I believe from a young age their calling is realized. In fact, it was at a, it was at a conference, similar conference to the one that we're going to put on, where, where my calling uh, to ministry was realized, where God spoke into me even from a young age. And, and it's amazing what happens in an atmosphere of God's presence, it's, an, it's amazing just by being in the proximity. How many people have kind of been away from church for a while, and then you really get, man, I just need to get to the house of God. I, I just need to get around some church folk. I, I just need to get around some people that are going to lift me up. And, and you think maybe you've attributed it to the nice words that people say or the pat on the back or the encouraging hug. But i got to re- reveal to you that it's the very presence of God that resides within us. When, the Bible says when two or three come together, I am there in your midst. I no longer just reside within. You, but in the atmosphere around you, miracles begin to happen. There's faith in the atmosphere just by coming together. If you're single, I have no idea why you aren't registered already. I'm telling you. Because I would want to make sure that when I'm looking for a potential partner, I'm not looking at the club Because there's so much work involved with that person. But finding a potential partner who's already serving in the house of God. Here's the thing, I'm thinking, maybe they're already in this house. You just don't even know it. Maybe they're serving wholeheartedly in another campus right now. But conference is your moment, baby. I don't know where that came from. I don't know where that came from. But... But why would people, or why would Peter, sorry, be so concerned that as at the top of his priority list, in his final letters before he dies, to make sure that above all, we would be confident, that we would know that we're called, that we would be confident in our calling. Could it be that Peter, of all people, had a first-hand experience with doubt and denial that, that questioned his calling. That as he looks back over his life, as he's penning this letter, thinking about the call of God in contrast to his life, how he'd run his race and how he'd walked out the purposes and the plan. You know, sometimes when you're young, it's easy to take God's calling for granted later in life. But now he's at his later stages in life and he's looking back over his life and he's thinking, what can I write to people that will be etched in forever? What can I write that will clearly articulate the, the importance that the top of his priority is making sure we know that we're called, knowing too well from his own experience that, the enemy's goal is to put our calling in question. In other words, could Peter be giving us a vulnerable lesson from his own life? Let me explain what I'm talking about. You see, when we're introduced to Peter in Scripture, we actually find Peter at the place when he's called. That's, that's the very time that we're first introduced to Peter, is at the, at the point where Jesus calls him. And we see this in Matthew chapter four, if you want to go with me, I'm going to give you a little bit more Bible today before we're done. And I want to show you something because in Matthew chapter four, we find Jesus has just stepped onto the ministry scene in the ministry phase of his life. And he does so by selecting his disciples. That's his first kind of port of call after being baptized and anointed and tempted in the wilderness. We then see he goes on a journey of selecting his disciples. And what I really love is that Jesus didn't go to the local Bible college, (laughs) He didn't go to the rabbinical training school. He, he didn't put a notice up in the synagogue. He, he, he didn't even look for theologians or trained experienced ministers. Instead, he, he approaches and applies an unconventional selection process. And it says this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon also called Peter, and Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. Pretty good living. I've seen the Sea of Galilee. It's nice. Nice to be out there every day. Nice to be throwing the net over and hauling in some food. And it's a it's a good living. But then it says this: Jesus called out to them, "Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people." And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them to come to. They immediately followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. In kicking off his ministry campaign, Jesus doesn't really select trained theologians. Instead, he chooses a bunch of guys that that are completely unqualified. And in actual effect, what we see in this, this entire scene is amazing because at no time does Jesus actually even give them a detailed explanation of what they're going to be doing. He doesn't outline the task at hand. He doesn't tell them where he's going to take them. He doesn't even give them a vision for their own life. He, he simply just says, follow me. And instead he drops a killer line. He, he, he pretty much says, I know you're fishermen, but I'll make you fishers of men. I mean, snaps for Jesus. That's pretty good. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good line right there. I, I know that you're fishermen, but I'll make you fishers of men. This is like, this must have been that good for them that they're like, oh, I'm in, man. I'm... I'm down. This guy can roll. I'm, I can hang with this guy. And so, so, so this killer line is so good that Peter and the other disciples, they immediately—they don't even think about it. They immediately leave their nets and they follow Jesus. Now, now I know that we can read this and we can severely miss the emphasis of what these men were actually doing. We, we can miss the power and we can just think, man, that's a good line. I'm just in this on this journey. But, but it says that in the Bible really clearly that they left their nets. Maybe I could emphasize what they were actually leaving and paint the picture. Can I get my net out here? Can I get my teaching aid? And maybe you could help me by bringing out my my net today because I want to make sure that I really emphasize to you and I make certain that you know the the transition that these guys were were making. They weren't making a small transition. They weren't making a, a minimal transition. They weren't enhancing their life. They weren't adding something, just some nicety to their life. They, the Bible says that immediately upon Jesus saying, follow me, they left their nets. They left their nets. Now, where's my net? Bring out my net. This is, this is a fishing net. How many people are familiar with fishing nets? None of you? Okay. Okay. <laughs> How many people know how to code a net, the net, internet? You familiar with the internet? All right. I know where I'm at. I know where I minister. This is a a net. This is a a fishing net for all you internet fishermen. This is real life kind of commercial fishing nets. I know it's commercial because it's got the red things on it. And so, I don't know, but it's a fishing net. And this net for Peter and for James and for John represented more than just a net this represented their their, their livelihood this this was this was their their, their, their net. nets weren't cheap we know that because it says that the two of the disciples spent time fixing their net you know so it's not like oh net's busted let's get a new one we have to fix the net because nets aren't cheap nets represent your livelihood but more than just your livelihood you know what livelihood represents your security represents safety in this life it it represents worth and identity they if you have a net it means you are somebody you're a fisherman and and it represents is not just what you do but sometimes who you are isn't it interesting when we ask we get to know people we say what do you do as if what they do somehow tells us who they are but that's how we live this life we we often get our identity of what we we do and in that moment as Jesus calls them it says that they just left their nets, just left them, walked away from the, one word from Jesus, they were willing to not just give up their career, but they're giving up their identity, what they've known. They're willing to, to put everything on the line for this guy named Jesus, this call that he called them. This is classic confident Peter too, by the way. This is, this is Peter, because if we fast forward in Scripture though, we're going to find a situation where Peter wasn't so confident. The confidence that we see in Peter leaving his nets, we see later in Scripture a situation where Peter wasn't that confident. And it says this, that at the time where Jesus was arrested, we see in Scripture, in John's Gospel, it tells us that Peter denied even knowing Jesus three times. And then it says something unique. It says, after he denied Jesus three times, he went back to fishing. Go with me, I'm trying to build something. I'm trying to set us up for some revelation and I'm praying that God will help me speak it the way that he spoke it to me. Because when Jesus called him, he he left his net, clean dropped it, didn't put it in storage, didn't pack it in mothballs, just said he left it on the beach for someone else to find, for someone to pick up that calling, for someone to, to pick up that thing. and And yet, in a moment of pressure where where he denies even knowing Jesus, it says that he went back to fishing. I mean, for three years, Peter had been on this different trajectory from the fishing career. For three years, he'd been around Jesus. For three years, he'd seen the miracles. For three years, he's walked with Jesus. For, for three years, he's, he's seen some stuff now. He's even saying we saw it with our own eyes. We heard it with our own ears. All of those experiences made us more confident Wouldn't it be great if just the experience would make us confident in life? But he's like, even in those experiences, there was a season where it got a little squirrely. Anyone know what it feels like to start something and feel like you've gone somewhere, but to to be back where you were when you started? I feel like there has to be nothing more discouraging in this life to feel like you've made some ground in this life and made some ground in this calling but to face a circumstance that reminds you I'm all the way back where I started like I thought that I'd progressed I thought that I'd graduated some things I thought that I'd overcome some things in my life but because of this circumstance I find myself fishing again I find myself back at my net where I left I thought I'd left that net but when things got hard I find that I'm I'm back at the same place where I was and literally what we find. Find here is it's confusing because at first glance it, it kind of it kind of seems confusing because I thought that our calling in this life was irrevocable that's what that's what it says in Romans 11 29 the gifts and call of God are irrevocable but then God showed me this that when, when Peter when God called Peter Peter may have left his nets physically but he was still holding on mentally there was there was still something in his heart that was that if this doesn't work out, I've got a backup. If this doesn't work out, if this thing is so much unknown in, in following Jesus, would you agree? There's so much unknown in this journey. They don't have the privilege of scripture like we do. They don't have the privilege of scripture to see that God was going to prepare them, He was going to go to the cross, He was going to raise from the, from the end, and He was going to commission them to build the church. They didn't know. They had, you don't know what you don't know. They had to piece it together, they had to put it together. And so what we see here is that. In the moment of of pressure, when the pressure was put on, I mean, Peter fared pretty well. There were definite moments of pressure over the ministry training. There were definitely moments of pressure and obstacles that he had to overcome. But but yet, this was a big one where when the, when the person he'd put his faith in, when the situation looked bleakest, Peter, in a moment of weakness, denies Jesus, and then he goes back to his. Safety net. He he goes back to what he was sure of. He goes back to that place where Jesus found him. He he goes back to that to that same place. I wonder if I wonder if it's like that with us where do we really ever fully leave our nets? It's kind of like when we when we take up I need my I need my worship team to come with me because I need some I need some help driving this home today because I feel like when we go for God, we, we definitely grab a hold of God. But sometimes it's like we keep one hand on the net. It's like I'm in God, but I'm dragging this thing. And, and I'm, taking the, I'm taking my back up, God. I'm, I, I know what it says in your word, but, but God, I'm going to be in with my attendance. But I don't know if I'm going to be in with my tithe. I'll show up, God, but I don't know if I want to front up. I, I, I will. I will show up, and I'll. I'll trust you with my tenants. I'm gonna be at all the things. I'm gonna be there when when the things are good. But hang on, God. You want me to give ten You want me to trust you with my finances? No, I'm gonna keep my hand on that, God. I'm gonna keep my security in in my net. What I can do, but I'll be in with you, part or or maybe it's with the area of relationship. Yeah, maybe I'll be all in with relationship with you. But God, I'm gonna keep my relationships with others in my hand. And sometimes we, we don't even know it, but we wonder why is it that I feel stuck in seasons of my life? Because we drag this thing around, hoping that this thing is gonna kind of work with us, but we end up getting caught up in the very thing that we're meant to leave. We, we end up getting tangled up in the, the very thing that we were meant to leave behind, but maybe we're saying, God, I'm following you, but God, I'm not leaving my net. I'm not leaving my net. I wonder if we're all lugging the nets that we're meant to leave. This is not the most encouraging word yet. I know that. I'm aware of that. I'm aware of it. But I'm trying to prepare us for something because... I know that to go really after what God has for us and to really seek God for revival, it requires us to let go of some things in our life. It requires us to be in a place and be prepared for what God wants to do and what God wants to speak. He's like, come on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wanna take you further, but it's gonna require you to let go of some things. And this is what Peter is trying to write to us as a church. He says, he says there are three things I want you to make sure of. He says, first, reflect on what God has done. He says, then remain in my presence, the power of proximity. But then He says, you gotta release the safety nets that we hold onto. He's like, it's gotta come to a point where you literally release the net. You, you let go of the net. I gotta show you this because it says this in John chapter 21. Let's go there real quick. It says, verse three, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see, who, couldn't see who He was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, no, we haven't, they replied. Then He said, throw you net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they caught a hole in the net because they, there were so many fish. They couldn't hole in the net because there were so many fish. Jump down to verse 15, it says, After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord you got to remember, this is after the denial. This is after Jesus rose, after Jesus has even appeared to them. Peter's still back at his net. Peter's still doing what he was doing before Jesus called him to a new life, before Jesus set him on a new path. Peter's still out fishing. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told them. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you Love me. Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, every time I've read this interaction, I kind of expected to go a little differently because here we got Peter conflicted in his calling, feeling pretty bad. He's just denied Jesus. He's gone back to his nets. I would have expected this would have been the perfect time for Jesus to affirm his love for Peter. Wouldn't you think? This would be the perfect moment if Peter's feeling down and Peter's feeling like everything's in question that Jesus would come, Peter, do you know I love you? Yeah, Lord, I know you love me. Peter, do you know I love you? Yeah, I know you love, Peter, do you know? Yes, I know you love me, Jesus. I got it now, now I'm good. But that's not what happens. It says that Jesus asks, do you love me? And I've been so confused about this for the longest time. Like why does Jesus ask if Peter loves him? And God showed me that at no point at all was this a question of Peter's calling in Christ but a question of Peter's confidence in Christ and his ability to keep him in every season of life. To know that, come on, you don't need to rely on the safety net anymore. You don't need to go back. You don't need to keep one hand in the past. Peter, if you love me, that means you're going to trust me and know that I'm going to be with you in every season, in every situation. Peter, I need you to put both hands on me. Get your hand. You need to leave the net. You need to let the net go. You're wanting to progress, but sometimes it feels like we get stuck back in the same season and maybe it's because we never fully let go of that safety net. Maybe we never fully let go of that thing that we were holding on to for security. But but I'm telling you today that what God is trying to say, hey, do you love me? Then would you trust me? If you love me, I need you to be confident in this very thing. You don't need to hang on to that safety net. I believe God is wanting us to be a church of no more nets, that in the fact that we don't keep our hands on what we can manage, but we fully go after everything that God has for our life. They're saying, God, I'm not putting my safety in what I can do. I'm not putting safety in what you called me from, but God, I'm putting my trust wholeheartedly in you, God. Jesus. Yeah, we love you. We love you. We love you. Come on, would you stand your feet all across all of our locations? I Today, I'm trying to just open something up in this series called Real Life Revival as we get real with what it looks like to enter into revival in our lives. We can't just enter into a season saying, God, I want more without letting go of some stuff. We can't just walk into God's presence expecting God's going to keep pouring on if we want to keep all the hesitation, we want to keep all the limitation, we want to keep our shame and we want to keep our guilt and we want to hold on to our net and say, God is it cool if I bring this to." God is it cool if I just hang on to this while I receive all the other things? God's like, if you want to receive from me, it requires an exchange. You need to let some things go. The Bible is always about the exchange. He says, would you exchange your weakness for my strength? Would you exchange your mourning for my joy? Would you exchange my beauty for your ashes. God says, come on, if you come to me, come ready to exchange some things. Don't keep one hand on the past. It requires us to hold on with both hands, saying, God, all I have is you. God, I put everything in you. Hey, we hope that you enjoyed that podcast. If you have a story about what God is doing in your life, or what he's done in your life, we'd love to hear from you. So make sure to send us an email at, at vibechurch.org.